0: Um, so, this morning we're going to be finishing up a three-part series that we've been doing, which we do yearly here at Calvary Slow, is, uh, we call it Vision 2019 this year, which helps kind of give, um, as a church, as a body of believers here, what do we, what do we practice? How do we walk with this walk with Christ? And what does that look like in practical ways? And so... Tonight, or today, is the last part of that series, and next week we'll be starting uh, a book uh, study, an in-depth study on the book of 1 Corinthians, so if you want to look forward to that and begin reading 1 Corinthians, I encourage you to do that. And so let's quickly go through some of the things that we've been covering uh, the last couple of weeks, and how do we see ourselves? And that's a question we always need to reassess, is how do we see ourselves in our walk with Him? How do we see ourselves in a community of believers that we find ourselves here? And so just a quick recap, we're a church community on the Central Coast here being remade into disciples or followers of Jesus. And hopefully we're known by our love for God and love for others and devotion to gospel renewal in our workplaces, neighborhoods, and our culture around us. And so we do this by orientating our lives around different values. And in this series, we're covering three different values, one being being with Jesus. In other words, in a sense, understanding what the presence of God is in our lives on a daily basis and in every situation of our lives. And literally, what does that look like in worshiping him, not only in a setting like this or in a small group, but during the week as we seek to know him more and understand him, and then uh, secondly, which Pastor James did last week, was doing what Jesus did. In other words, what is a, what is a mission call? What does that look like? What does that mean? Because mission usually brings up to mind some dark place and another part of the world that God wants to send you to, and you don't want to go there. But reality is, is that in the fact that we have the Spirit of Christ, that we walk in fellowship with Him that his presence leads us in mission in the sense that we are understanding his heart and mind for people around us, and that we're changed by that. And we go out and we become witnesses. We sense him, we talk with him, we experience him, and we see what he's doing, and then we simply tell that story to other people around us. And so that is what mission looks like here at Calvary Slow. And third this morning that I'll be talking about is becoming like Jesus, that transformation process that comes through training and community, which will break down. So let's uh, look at that next slide, and we will break it out a little bit more. And so in talking about orientating our lives around these principles, principles sometimes can be a technical word. It, it, it I think the word value, which we looked at, I think, really describes something that our hearts are attached to, something that we find worth that we give our lives to. And so the fact that uh, we see our lives as one act of worship in every situation is being with Jesus. Also, during the week, our personal discipleship with Him, where we're being trained by Him, where we're reading His Word, we're praying, we're worshiping. And then doing what Jesus did, as I said, living with intentionality. In other words, I plan for... Telling the story of God and what he's doing in my life in Jesus with others. And what does that look like to plan for that, to pray for that, which James covered last week. And so today, again, talking about becoming like Jesus, and let's go to the next slide. I'm going to start out um, breaking down here this idea of transformation. And I'm going to use three words or terms That is expressly used, uh, sometimes in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew words, but mostly in what we call the New Testament, in what Jesus had to say, and also what his disciples and apostles had to say. So this morning I'm going to look at what it means to be conformed, which uh, leads us to a question of being, you know, what am I being shaped by, and whom am I being shaped by? And it's a question of yielding our will which I'll explain a little bit more. But it's the idea of taking what God has given us, that free gift, which is free will, and yielding that in the process of what God's trying to speak into our lives. And then secondly is being transformed. Uh, The word is metamorphosis, which I'll go into more detail about. But it's a change or a reshaping that's occurring within ourselves that is happening without our energy producing it. It's something that God does within us, and we yield to that work of love and power that he does. And thirdly, um, embracing a third powerful work of the Holy Spirit is being in community. Now, that seems a little bit nebulous. Hopefully, I'll come up with some details that will make it a lot clearer for you. But it's the fact that we are all connected by a living link, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead. And we share in that in different Uh, pictures and terms that God uses, like family, a body, a temple, and we'll look at that in greater detail. But we're sharing life together as disciples. We're living life together. So let's go to the next slide, which we're going to start out in Mark. And if you need a Bible, by the way, we have some people that are willing to pass those out. And if you have a Bible of your own or an iPad, a smart device, you're going to have a dumb device. I guess not. So Anyway, one of those things that you're going to basically use this morning, and if you need a Bible, and because we're going to be looking at some scriptures that we'll have up there as well as other scriptures that won't be there. And so since uh, Pastor Brian and Pastor James actually used the book of Mark, I will also use a part here in describing becoming like Jesus from his own lips, from his own mouth, and this is in Mark 8, 31 through 35, and this is what Jesus said, he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and after three days would rise again, and he said this plainly, it's kind of neat how Mark puts that there, but Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning, Jesus turning and seeing his disciples and probably seeing their reaction to what Peter was doing, he rebukes Peter and says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let's go to the next slide. And then calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Notice some of the italicized words there. Let's go back to the upper slide there. Remember one of the things that I notated that in this work of God working in us, becoming like him, he uses training. Well, notice how Jesus taught them. Jesus began to teach them or train them. And these are things that he would use in different ways. He would repeat himself constantly. He would bring up analogies. He'd bring up pictures. And he taught them by word and by example. In this case, he is laying down something that was critical to finding true life. And notice that he says, after he begins to share about his death and resurrection and rejection, that he... Basically, Peter thinking, Oh, you can't die. You're the Messiah. You need to rescue Israel. How can you even say that? Peter gets rebuked by the Lord, which is pretty harsh language. And I don't have time to go into that. But notice that he says, You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of men. And it, that, that word is important. And why I've italicized it is that in our culture, we look at the mind, the heart, emotions in a different way than the ancient culture of which Jesus is talking to here. And so it's important that we get definitions so that we can properly interpret this. When it uses this particular phrase and in other parts of the scripture, the mind, it's an interesting thing that that deals with logic, judgment, making a decision, also including feelings that lead you to a logical conclusion. And so basically Jesus is telling Peter, Look, Peter, you are wrapped up in making a false conclusion on something here. And literally, your your mind and your emotions are wrapped up on the things, not of God, but the things of men. Let's go to the other slide there. And so Jesus, it says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples. Remember, I mentioned community. So Jesus literally, to bring the point home, calls in not only his, his disciples that were following him, but even the crowd that were following him for different reasons, because maybe they had heard about his fame, they wanted a meal, they wanted to get healed. Here they are coming. And so he's calling this community to himself, and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, in general, and when we look at this verse, the idea of self-preservation and self-interest can clearly be in conflict with Jesus himself. Think about this. Self-preservation, if you've studied anything about world biology, maybe some of you are biology major here, but that self-preservation within nature is very, very strong. And honestly, if we look at it, self-preservation can be a very dominant instinct within our fallen nature to where it supplants the idea of losing security, losing life, to find life, and we can hold on to that. Also on the other side of the coin is that how do we we begin to understand where self-interest is in conflict with God's interest? Because self-interest can be very deceptive and difficult to determine when it is in conflict with God's interest, his heart and his mind. And so hopefully we'll begin to distinguish that a little better as we go through this. But Jesus was always very good about being able to get to the heart of where where self-preservation and self-interest was denying this person eternal life. I'm going to give you two examples. One was uh, a rich young ruler came to Jesus one day, and he had obviously known about Jesus, had heard some of the things he said, saw some of the things he did, and he recognized that Jesus held the key to eternal life. Because he came up and he said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to him very clearly, well, you know the commandments in the law, what does it say? And he began to recite different commandments that he would kept from his youth up, he said. But he said, but what more do I need to do? Because the man recognized intuitively that by his own actions and efforts, He still had not gained eternal life. He was not experiencing that. And so Jesus said something directly to this man's self-interest and where his mind and heart and his love was. He said, well, then, one more thing you need to do. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And it records that the man's face fell. His head probably dropped. And he turned and walked away. And, 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 and it really even says, as Jesus watched him go, that he loved this young man. But his self-interest and the need for self-preservation kept him from eternal life. Now, on the other side of this, we see Zacchaeus, who was uh, a tax collector, despised you know, among his, his brothers among his Jewish brothers, as being a tax collector, working with the Roman government. But he was so excited to see Jesus. And being short, he was probably, what, four, five, four foot five, something like that, he couldn't see. Now, I'm interpolating four foot, four foot five. He maybe he was taller than that, but he was a short guy. So anyway, the point is, is that he couldn't see Jesus, so he runs to the nearest tree, climbs up in the branch, because he knew Jesus was going to come here. And Jesus walks you know, up to him, and, and, and he looks up at Zacchaeus, and he says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. Now, that's pretty cheeky. But Jesus recognized this man really wanted to hear him and see him. And so during this lunchtime, and it doesn't say what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. It doesn't record anything that was done. But in the middle of this lunch, all of a sudden, Zacchaeus breaks out. Lord, I'm gonna, I know I've wronged people, and I'm going to give back. I don't know, was it two, three, four times the amount that I've swindled from people? And I'm going to give a third of my wealth to the poor. And Jesus said, today salvation has visited this house. Now, Zacchaeus had plenty of self-preservation and self-interest, but he knew that to gain life, he needed to yield his life. he did this. And this is what Jesus is saying here as we're looking at this passage. And so this leads us into this idea about becoming like Jesus, and I'm going to expand on this. So let's look at the next slide, and let's go to the book of Romans chapter 12 as Paul expands on what Jesus says here in Mark. And the book of Romans in chapter 12 Paul has just finished up talking about the incredible mercies of election, being part of his family, being part of uh, his disciples in Romans 7, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, and shown these incredible mercies of God, which is you know, how Paul starts out this in verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren. And again, He's speaking to a group, a community of believers in the city of Rome. So this is a letter to everyone there. He says, I appeal, I beg, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, for this is the reasonable way for you to worship. And do not be conformed to this world or age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect in finding out what the will of God is, is what Paul is trying to say there. So, it's important to see that Paul is presenting something that Jesus was saying in Mark 8, but in a more demonstrable way. To that culture, whether you were Jew or Gentile, Sacrifices was a part of your worship, your daily worship. You sacrificed animals to be an expiation for your sins, to cover you, to please the gods if you were a, a, a pagan worshiper. Or for the Jewish believers, this was prescribed by God as a sacrifice for atonement, a substitution to cover your sins. But Jesus has presented himself as now the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world and literally becoming that living sacrifice that died and rose again. And so, by the mercies of God, Paul is saying, now I want you not to just be some animal that takes your place, but I want you to take your bodies and offer them in a living way as a sacrifice to God that's acceptable and it pleases Him. And he says, and he uses the term, which is your reasonable way for you to worship. Now that's a, I, I'm, it's an interesting phrase because depending on the translation you're reading from, this is really what it means literally. This is not something that just appeals to a fanaticist or just pure emotionalism. It's dealing with, here are the facts. Respond in a reasonable, logical way because of what God has done in your life, therefore. Take your bodies and offer them in a living way to God, and God accepts that, as is your reasonable way to worship. Again, talking about the mind, what you think about, how you come to a reasonable decision, your judgment, discernment. All of that is in that that scripture. And then he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, And this is where we're going to break and go into greater detail here. So let's look at the next slide. And let's look at the first idea here about being conformed. Now, in Scripture, there's two different Greek words or terms that reveal two larger truths. Here in Romans 12, he's saying, I don't want you to be conformed to this age. And it uses a particular Greek term, which means to be fashioned or shaped by that which is transitory, changeable, and unstable. It is the world system. It is the age that is now present. And whether that's 2,000 years ago when this was written or today, the message is still the same. By what is your life, your inner person, your thought life, your heart, what is it being conformed by? Paul is making a distinction here between something that is unstable, will change, decay, go away. Will that fashion your life? He says, no. He's asking you to do something different. Now, the other term uh, that is uh, said conformed, conformed, we find in Romans 8.29 and Philippians 3.21. This term, especially in Romans 8, 29, he's talking about God's desire that he calls us sons and daughters to be conformed into the image of his son, Jesus. That's part of this loving relationship that God has with us. In fact, the verse before says, for God works together for the good to all those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And in the very next verse, which is 29, he says, this is one of the purposes of God to conform your life, to look like my son. And then in Philippians 3.21, Paul uses the term about our bodies will not always be the same, but we have the hope of this resurrection that Jesus has already accomplished by the fact that these bodies that are weak, fading away, dying, depends on your age. Mine's fading a lot more than some of your younger ones. But the fact that he says that by his very power is going to conform my body and change it to be made like unto Jesus' body that he was raised with for eternity, which is durable, essential to character, and complete, which is this term, this Greek term here. So the fact is, is God uses by his dominion, by his might, by his energy to shape and fashion us in the deepest part of our character and our very nature, and thus it's exhibited in ways that can be seen. So that's one term here. Let's go to the next slide and look at this idea of transformation here in Romans 12.2. This word uh, that Paul uses here is our English word. It comes from a Greek, we literally transliterate, the Greek spelling into the English language, which is metamorphosis. And Paul is describing here this metamorphic change within us that is a complete change in character and conduct, a profound change of life from one stage to the next. And he says it's through the renewal of your mind again. That word for renewal is... A complete renovation. We're not talking about just coming in, putting a little bit of coat of paint on something that's a little dull on the wall, or hammering this board that's loose. God talks about this renewal as being something that powerfully comes in and metamorphosizes us. He does a complete renovational change in our thinking, our emotions, our will, and begins to do this powerful work within us. Literally, when we're talking about that word metamorphosis, it's very much like when, you, when you've studied anything about butterflies, how they start out, this ugly looking worm that's just crawling around. And it's oh, gross, my wife would say. But it then becomes, it starts developing in this pupa stage that's covered with this sac. And then at, at some particular point, this, this emerging new creation comes out and kicks out the thing. And you've got this incredibly beautiful butterfly. This is the picture of God working within us in such a way to transform us, to metamorphosize us, to where you may consider yourself on the low end of the scale. You may see your life as not being very useful. You may actually despair of life. But God is working in you something that will literally continue to change you from the inside out. to where not only in this life will you exhibit this incredible change, but that will go on to eternal life because it's durable, will last, and is not changeable, is not fading away. And so this is such a powerful work of God that he does in us because of his great love towards us, and that He, as we yield to him, we we literally allow ourselves to say, I am a living sacrifice to you because I see the value of who you are and what you've done in my life, and where I will be for eternity, and he's and I, willingly, and then God responds, and, man, powerfully does this work in our lives. In another place, in Mark 9-2, and I'm only going to briefly look at that for time's sake, but it notice it uses the same word. In this case, it says Jesus was transfigured. He was going up to a mountain to pray, and he brought along... Uh, John and Peter and um, James, thank you. Glad uh, we have Bible scholars in here to help me out. And he takes the three up there, and while he's praying, all of a sudden his clothing changes, his face changes. There's this glorious light. They're blinded by this transformation, and literally uses the same word: that which is already within, coming out in such a demonstrable way to where the disciples are overcome by the true nature of who Jesus is. Well, again, this is something God does within us. He transfigures us. He does such an incredible work now and throughout eternity where the true nature of who you really are comes out in clear, distinctive ways that has changed. Um, I'm not going to spend time on 2 Corinthians 3.18, but only to say this, that it talks about being able to see him and his power and thus reflect his glory. Now, this reflection of glory, again, can be used in the area of mission when we're talking about being in community, which is where I want to go next and comment on this idea of God's powerful work in relationship to community. So if we can look at that. Next slide. Thank you. Now, this seems a little bit more odd, doesn't it? Why is being in community a powerful work of God? Well, let me ask you, why did you come to church this morning? What was your thought process as you were coming? When you go to a community group or you meet with other believers during the week, why do you do it? Is it a social function? Is it time just to have your kids be in Sunday school so you can get a break? Uh, Valid reasons, mind you, valid reasons. But what is the underlying reason of why we're doing what we're doing? And why is being in community a work of power? Well, let me start with Jesus Himself. Here is the Son of God. God the Son, Christ, with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus, what does Christ do? He comes down and joins the community of mankind. He identifies with you and I. He's born of a woman. He becomes the son of man, which is one of his chief titles that he uses, the son of man, besides the son of God. He becomes subject to this humanity, enduring all the things that you and I face at every level. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that in every way, he has faced every temptation that you and I are faced with. He became subject to that, and yet he didn't yield. But not only that, he did not do what he did because he was God the Son. He did what he did because he yielded himself to the Father as a living sacrifice. Because he says, I only do what I see the Father doing, and everything I do pleases the Father. Now, out of your and my lips, that might seem a little ludicrous, especially if you... In the face of your friends or your spouse, they would really chuckle. I don't know. But nobody debated this with Jesus. (laughs) It was really interesting. But not only did he do this, but finally, when he's facing the ultimate death, because he knew, remember he said plainly he told the disciples this, constantly told them this, and they never got it, that he was going to be rejected, killed, and rise again the third day. When he's facing this death, this ultimate death of having the Father turn his face away from him, of having to take upon him the sins of all the ages of every human being possible and taking those sins upon him, the righteous for the unrighteous. He's wrestling in that garden. He's struggling so great that he's dripping drops of blood because the capillaries are breaking in the sweat glands up here. And he's crying out with loud crying, if there's any other way to do this. Is there any other way? And finally he says, but not what I want, not your will. Not my will, but your will be done. And he dies this humiliating death. Abused and forsaken. If that isn't entering into the community of mankind, I don't know what is. But you see, even that example is this powerful work of God coming in to our life. Because remember, there's different terms that are used about our relationship with each other in the body of Christ. And this means everybody in the world, followers of Jesus that we become. He he calls us to be family. Now, for some of us, this word family can be a very... Negative connotation. Maybe you came from a family where it was very painful, even abusive. And so the idea of maybe even being in the family of a group of believers is a frightening thing. Maybe you've been to other churches where you got burned. I mean, that's just a reality. I mean, I've been doing this for 43 years. And let me tell you, there's a lot of scars. But let's dig in deeper. Let's do this powerful work of God. What is he doing here? It goes even beyond family. Brethren. Brethren that you are connected by family lines here. Let's go even deeper. No, back up the slide. I wasn't done there. Thanks. Sorry. Making it challenging for you, aren't I? Paul talks about this term being the body of Christ, that we are the body of Christ. And in Ephesians 4:15 and 16, he actually gets into a very detailed description of what this looks like in practice. He says that we are to grow up, this is Ephesians 4:15 and 16, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Look around yourself right now. Look at the person left of you, right of you. Look around. Really, look around. You are synergistically connected to that person, these people around you. You are all joints and ligaments, blood vessels. And you are intricately connected to our, each one of you when you're working properly is a source of life, a source of God's love, a source of his power, a source of his encouragement, that you build one another up in a strong, vital community of believers. That's a reality that Paul is talking about here. I want you to let this sink in deeply. This is a work of the Spirit of God within you. You are not an island. You are not just an individual. Because God certainly deals with us as individuals. We all come to him as individuals, but then we join a family, a community. And that is sometimes how he addresses us. Part of our growth is absolutely vital to being in community and in a connected way. Now, that may scare the pants off you. I get it. It is risky. Because it's living real life in a most intricate way of developing friendships, even lifelong relationships that will carry into eternity. Remember, it just isn't in this life. It's for eternity. So that person you looked at is going to be with you in eternity. This is the reality that the work of the Spirit does within us. He opens up these possibilities of health and wellness, and glory, and power by this expression of connectivity and community at this level. Uh, for time's sake, I'm simply going to notate this. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, hopefully you'll read this, but he talks about Christ coming to Christ who is the cornerstone, the chief foundational stone of this temple. And it says that we are all living stones built together upon this foundational rock as a temple to God. In Corinthians, Paul talks about us as a group here in this, in this, in this Sunday morning here, but also around the world, that literally we are a temple of which Spirit, the Spirit of God abides. So this is a healthy way of getting stoned. You, I know, it was, it was just... <laughs> It was there. I didn't do it first service. And maybe you're saying you should have just left off here. But literally, you, if you think you can be disconnected and still live into fullness of God, it is a self-deception. You are relying on self-interest and self-preservation. So I just will challenge you in that. And lastly... Uh, just going through the rest of Romans chapter twelve here, and i 'll finish up with a few questions as you look through the rest of Romans twelve here, Paul uh, talks about uh, this body of believers, each one having spiritual gifts to give to one another. so again, this idea here, and this is in the following verses, he talks about that there are these spiritual graces that we can give to one another that whether it's hospitality, teaching, training, encouraging. Again, this morning, I I happen to be giving away a gift of training or teaching. But really, when we look at it and living life together, just on an every week basis, every month basis, yearly basis, it's this idea of this giving and receiving that's going on constantly. where And I don't care how you view yourself. It's inherent that God has placed this in you to be able to give something to others. In spiritual power, Um, he also talks about uh, giving away to the poor, giving your funds and monies away. He talks about uh, being kindly affectionate towards those who are contrary. He talks about being humble, not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought to. I'm going to talk about the negative side of community now. Because to do all those things means that you're in an interactive place where you're being humbled. You're being asked to humble yourself in front of others. You're being asked to be transparent. You're asked to serve willingly, even if it's not reciprocated. Has that ever happened to you? Think about the fact that sometimes that person who seems to just bother you the most is probably the tool of God to bring you to the end of yourself. I've been married 45 years. And I know that I have often, because of my broken nature, been a chief tool of death in my wife. <laughs> now, she's never said this, but she's thought this. He'll be the death of me yet. That's a, pro- that's a prophetic word. <laughs> because God uses relationships, it says, literally to sharpen and change and shape us. Because unless you're doing the one another's and you're by yourself, you are never going to truly become like Jesus. Remember, our our Savior coming into humanity and, and being challenged constantly by sinful men and women, and yet forgave and loved and served and ultimately died for them. This is the hard part of community. But it is a necessary, powerful work of God that we're changed, conformed, metamorphosized, Into what it's like and who he was and who he is. And it's part of your eternity. So let's end with just a few questions here. What should you and I consider then as we've gone through some of these concepts and scriptures and being faced with this? I think it's good to look at positively and negatively. Where am I already dying to self? Where am I already being a living sacrifice? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in school. Rejoice at that. God's at work in you. You know it wasn't yourself, right? (laughs) You can't take credit for what you can't get to, right? Remember, all of these words, transformation, confirmation, are all in the passive tense in the Greek, which means it's not your responsibility to produce, essentially. So rejoice in what God's done to you, but... Ask yourself, where is he asking me to take up his cross in? He'll answer that question, by the way. Remember Zacchaeus and and the rich young ruler? He will answer that prayer. I can guarantee you 100% you will get an answer to this prayer. I call it a popcorn prayer because it doesn't take long with the heat turned up where I start realizing that I'm not dying to myself. My own self-interests are coming way up there. Secondly, how am I being conformed and transformed by him? What do you see in your life, this powerful work of God so far in metamorphosizing you? Rejoice in that. Take account for that. Where, by whom or what in this age are you being fashioned unconsciously? Ask yourself that question. And then replace it by yielding your will as a living sacrifice. And let him do that work of confirmation. Am I becoming like Jesus through my community connections by giving and receiving. Where is that happening? Where does he want me to go deeper? Because it's always a deeper. The concepts and the things that I brought up this morning are all revelatory. They're all, you know, brought to our mind, to our heart, to our attention by the Spirit of God and sometimes by people around us. So in, in closing, before I have Vicki come up and share a closing word, I want you to think about these things. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be challenged. And that you find yourself after examination of these truths that your logical conclusion will be to worship. Because they're reasonable and they haven't been done in secret. They've been done powerfully throughout history by God. First through the Jewish nation and then by the Messiah himself coming into humanity dying and raising again. I'll let Vicky come up and finish. Thanks guys.
1: In the book of Romans chapter 2, Paul uses a word and the word is self-seeking. In the Greek, that word actually means contentious. Think about that for a second. How is being self-seeking contentious? When you consider the nature and character of God, who is sacrificial, <laughs> self-giving, serving, when we have a posture of, that's self-seeking, we place ourself, another translation of that word is rivalry, we place ourselves in a posture that's contentious, that opposes God's character, I don't know about you, but I want to love what he loves and I want to hate what he hates. And he's been so good to me. So when he asks me to offload a self seeking attitude, a self seeking lifestyle, that's when he has permission in my life to conform me, to transform me, and he can use me in his community. Does that make sense? So I just want to invite you to stand. And whenever God speaks to us, whenever we hear his word, He always, the Holy Spirit always gives us an opportunity to respond. So this, isn't, this is your chance. This is our chance to respond to the word of God. So I'd like to invite us just to take a few seconds to just stand in silence before him. And trust me, I know how challenging that is nowadays. Let's just give some, a few minutes or a few seconds quietly in an attitude of hearing before the Holy Spirit to ask him, how do you want me to respond to this word? I feel like the, word, the questions that Gunther has put on the slide were so perfect. So let's just, let's just start there. Lord, we ask you to come. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. What should my response be? To what I've heard today. Please speak to us, Lord. So we invite you, Lord, into that process. We want to be conformed. We really want to be transformed to be more like Jesus. And Lord, we want to embrace your community. We want to give what you've given us and receive what you have for us in the context of community. Take our hearts this morning, Father and fashion them. Let your kingdom come here in me and your will be done in me today. In Jesus' name.